Welcome to our Sunday school class as we continue working through the Holy Spirit by Sinclair Ferguson. We've taken his book and adapted it for our Sunday school lesson. And this morning we're on lesson 12, the communion of the spirit, part two, the communion of the spirit, part two. Now, historically, Christians and Christian organizations have been at the forefront of family adoption. That's not to say that every Christian family or organization has done well with it, but that's just a fact. Christians have been at the forefront. Now, just a scenario here, something I want us to think through together. Let's say you have a close friend and your close friend has adopted a child. They invite you over for dinner and you sit down at the table and they say, we want you to meet our adopted son, James. But it's interesting because James is not at the table. All of their other children that you know and recognize are there, but not James. They say, well, of course he's not here. And they get up from the table and they go out to the shed and there's James. There's a table nicely set for him in a nicely lit room. He seems to be comfortable in that living space. And the wife says, meet our son, James. Now, you wonder to yourself, I assume, I would wonder, why is this newly adopted son, James, out in the shed and not at the table with the rest of the family? Would, would that be a question for you? Would that be a strange situation? It would be strange for someone to adopt a child but not give them the love or comfort or privileges of their natural born children. The Bible talks about believers being children of God adopted as sons and daughters. Now, we understand that, but I think at times we see ourselves as little adopted James. We're adopted into God's family, but we're sort of out in the shed. There's some shame associated with our adoption. God's not willing to give us a place at the table. But that's just not the way the scripture defines our relationship to God, our, our sonship. Now, looking at your, your handout there, we're first looking at spirit of sonship. Spirit of sonship. One description given to the Holy Spirit is spirit of adoption or spirit of sonship. Romans 8, 13 to 15. Let me have someone read that for us. Turn to Romans 8. Everyone turn to Romans 8, and we're going to read verses 13 through 15. Who will be willing to read that for us nice and loud so the room can hear? Anthony, go for it. Thank you. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Thank you. Now, we've mentioned this before, the sort of multifaceted implications of union with Christ 
by the Spirit. And here we see another one. The Spirit leads the children of God by giving us spiritual discernment. Now, this is not a sort of mystical spiritism. The Spirit leads the children of God by giving them spiritual discernment. Ferguson helpfully says, it's a moral character of Christian behavior. So God's sons and daughters are to exhibit the family trait of holiness. And this implies putting sin to death through the power of the indwelling spirit. Sometimes when we think about being led by the spirit, and there are some um, sort of branches and traditions within broader evangelicalism that has given us ideas about what it means to be led by the spirit, that um, it's uh, maybe at times uh, an, an audible voice that speaks and says, turn left at the stop sign instead of right. Or it's uh, some other form of what sounds more like uh, mysticism than it does how the scripture describes God's normative way of leading his children. Uh, we are led by the spirit by having um, a holiness that is consistent with what the Bible calls us to. Um, and as adopted sons and daughters living in light of what the scriptures call us to do. So it's, I think it's actually less um, complex than we usually think about it being. We can sometimes over spiritualize it and make it more, more complicated. But notice verse 15 in Romans 8. The spirit of adoption is not the spirit of slavery to sin. So when we think about even being led by the spirit, we should have a category at the forefront that has something to do with righteousness and sin, being a slave to Christ as opposed to being a slave to sin. It's the spirit of sonship, and it's through the spirit that we cry, as Anthony read, Abba, Father. Now that phrase there, cry out in verse 15, is the same word used in Mark 5, 5, which says, night and day among the tombs and among the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. If you remember the context of, of Matthew um, or Mark 5, this um, uh, demon-possessed person is, is crying out. That same phrase is also used in Mark 10, 47 to 48. Someone go there and read that for us, nice and loud. Mark 10, 47 to 48. Again, we're going here because it's the same phrase used in the original language for Abba Father, by the Spirit crying out, Abba Father. Okay, again, that crying out, and he cried out all the more. These are expressions of really intense feelings. This is the language the Bible uses for how the Spirit works in the believer as they cry out, Abba, Father. The depth of the union that we have with Christ is experienced by the believer as the spirit cries out in their spirit, Abba, Father. It's, it's a deep, 
intense, affectionate cry. Christ puts the words of his own relationship with the Father in the mouth of his beloved children. We are children of God, brethren of Christ. For he who sanctifies and the one who sanctifies and the one and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he, Christ, is not ashamed to call them brothers. Again, that's just an amazing thought, Hebrews 2.11, that Christ, believer, Christ is not ashamed to call you brother or sister, right? We're not James, the adopted son in the shed, but we actually have a place at the table as Christ himself calls us brother or sister. We are children of God. So we have a status of sonship. Now, while we know that the Bible says that, and that this is true, we don't feel that like we should all the time, right? So our, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, they, they waver, that the, our awareness of that privilege of sonship is weakened at times. Now, a question for you I want us to think about together. Why do you think that is? Why do you think our awareness of that privilege of sonship is sometimes weakened? What do you think causes that? Anthony? Spiritual warfare? Yeah, spiritual warfare, absolutely. Yep. You just grow tired, right? Being beaten down at times. Yep. What else? Norm? Yeah. Yep. So we're not, we go back and forth, right? Up and down. Yep. We are fickle. And we, we feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What else? We still see God as like a judge. Hmm. So yeah. Sometimes we don't see him as a loving father. We see him based upon our performance. Hmm. And when I sin, I need to go away. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. So this, Josh said, at times we feel that God puts us in time out when we sin, yeah. right? And so we can't continue our relationship with Him because surely He's mad at us. And so He needs space. We need space, and that affects us. Yep. What else? Worldliness? What's that? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, she said we're easily distracted. There are so many worldly distractions that throw us off track. Yep. And that affects our, uh, our awareness of our, our sonship. Now, with those sort of looking at that negatively in that way, which all those are true, and I felt all of those in one point or another, um, looking at it positively, what are some things that you think strengthens our awareness of that sonship, that, that privilege? What are some things that strengthens it? Anthony? Uh, the promises of God that they're unfailing. Yeah. Genesis uh, 12, 17. Yeah, yep. God's promises are unfailing, so he can be trusted. Crystal? Um, I think that's what we talked about last week, just with the Holy Spirit being a seal mm. as our guarantee. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Adding that to the artillery that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of those things to come. 
Yep. What else? Yeah. Just kind of being aware of that. Yeah. Praying and reading the word. Yep. It's going to help you kind of maintain that perspective versus the common self. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? So the scriptures and prayer, meditating on the word, it works as this sort of spiritual wheel alignment, right? It gets us back on track where we need to be and having that focus. Yep. Anything else? Arnie? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that that reminds me. I was going to try and find it, but um, remember that that uh, quote we were looking at on uh, Instagram about waiting well. Remember what it said. Um, it said something like waiting well is going about our ordinary work, waiting for God's provision and conclusions, something like that. Which I thought was super helpful. But what you said made me think about that. Um, we don't often and we probably shouldn't just simply sit. There are times where we do need to sit and be quiet and still. Uh, but usually we must go about our regular work and in that routine um, the Lord shows he reveals the scriptures come to mind and so there's a training in that as well yeah that's good that's good yeah Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. The um, the Christian life is not individualistic. Right. We're not uh, separatists sort of. I'm here doing my own thing. The Christians are doing their thing. But we're going to talk about how um, how uh, tightly knit and uniquely ingrained our lives are together, whether we recognize it or not. We are we are bound together by something that goes beyond um fleshly, earthly, material things, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. In Ferguson's book, he talks about how we do at times doubt the gracious status of child of God. And he says this, even in the darkest hour, there is a cooperative and affirmative testimony given by the spirit. It is found in the very fact that although he may be broken and bruised, the Christian, tossed about with fears and doubts, the child of God nevertheless in his need cries out, Father, as instinctively as a child who has fallen and been hurt calls out in similar language, Daddy, help me. Assurance of sonship is not reserved for the highly sanctified Christian. It is the birthright of even the weakest and most oppressed believer. This is its glory. So not just those who feel themselves strong, but for those who feel themselves weak and needy, constantly feeling like they're tripping and stumbling, he says that the cry is reserved for you. Daddy, help me. It can be easy for us, I think, to move so quickly over this privilege of union with Christ. 
the indwelling Holy Spirit is the divine third person of the Trinity who actually communicates the shared status of sonship to us. It's not ours by virtue of our personal holiness. It's not ours by virtue of our knowledge that it's true. Knowledge that that's true is not what preserves it for you. It's the spirit who actually communicates it to you. And he does work in our memory and mind to know and believe that it is true. If our sonship is based on our recollection or comprehension of it, then it's tossed to and fro, like Norm said earlier, like we are sometimes. But it's actually sealed to us by the Spirit, like we talked about last week, confirmed in us by the Spirit, and he attests to our spirit that we are God's by the affectionate, intimate cry, again, Abba, Father. So all of that is behind and underneath that cry of Abba, Father, which the Spirit uh, cries through our spirit. It can be easy for us to forget about the Holy Spirit and how um, integral and important having a, a view of God as triune is important, um, how important that is for our sanctification and our, our knowledge of God and our faith even. But if we look back, I think one of the things that helps, that's, that's helped me at least when I think about um, the Trinity and uh, how each person of the Trinity is involved in my salvation and sanctification and even glorification. Something that's helped me is looking back at our ancient faith in the church in the past, the saints that came before us. They had a robust theology of the Holy Spirit and of, of the Trinity. And they emphasized this. And his uh, divinity, his person, his work, that of the Spirit is something that you see um, in those early ecumenical creeds that were grounded and given really for us to confess um, and for the church to confess as long as she is here on earth. And something that's, that I tried to do is go back and read those ancient creeds. One of the earliest ecumenical creeds is from the fourth century. It's the Nicene Creed. And it's an example of what I'm, what I'm talking about. The Nicene Creed has lines from the Apostles' Creed, but it's written mainly in response to those who are trying to minimize or even deny the divinity of Christ. But within the Nicene Creed, there's a section on the Father and then the Spirit and then below or the Son and below the Son, a section on the Holy Spirit. And they did that to show the equality and the divinity of the Trinity. And this is what it says, or at least this one portion of the Spirit. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Even as they defended uh, the divinity of Christ, they didn't do it apart from the Holy Spirit, the uh, companion of Christ and the companion of, of believers. You see this also in the creed that's entitled the Athanasian Creed. Um, I considered reading that together in the class, but it's, it's a little longer, so maybe for another lesson. But if you get a chance this week, look up the Athanasian Creed and read it. It's, it's so uh, rich as it walks through Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it really does think strengthen your faith muscle as you think about um, your salvation and, and sanctification. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to 
stop there on that, that first point, and then we'll go to the next point here, the paraclete. The spirit as the paraclete. So before Jesus ascended, he promised to send another paraclete. In other words, who he's sending is of the same kind of Jesus himself. He is another helper, the scripture says, calls him another helper, the paraclete, like Christ. In his book, Sinclair Ferguson explains that the sending of the spirit as another helper is not to distinguish between his presence with the disciples and his presence in the disciples, but it's more related to the ministry of the spirit in Christ and the post in the post Pentecostal ministry of the spirit as the spirit of Christ in the disciples. I know that's a lot there, but I'll try to explain that out. So the spirit again is referred to as another helper, which points to his one inseparable operations with Christ as the first helper. And you see this language that's used both of Christ and the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna go through these more quickly. Actually, no, you have a handout. So on your handout where it says paraclete, you see this language used both of Christ to the left and the spirit to the right. Jesus is the spirit of truth, John 4, 16. The paraclete is the spirit of truth, John 16, 13. Jesus is called the Holy One of God. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the teacher, Matthew 8, 19. The paraclete also teaches, which we'll talk about in a sec here. Jesus bears witness, John 3, 32. The paraclete bears witness to Christ. The world did not recognize Jesus, Acts 13, 27. And the world uh, does not recognize the Spirit at Pentecost, John 14, 17. So you see, the, you see this language, and this, this is intentionally intentional. It's meant to uh, point us to, just as the scripture says, the spirit, uh, Jesus will send the paraclete, another helper. This is, again, same kind, like the first, right? So this language is used of both Christ and the spirit to show this connection between, between the two. So make sure you note those and you can go back and look at those verses later. It's, it's really helpful to see that and really study through it. All right, let me have someone go to John 14, 2. John 14, 2. I just want to make a quick point and sort of piggyback off of this this point I just made about the connection between the first helper and another helper, the, the second helper. John 14, 2. Whoever gets there, go ahead and read it for us. Norm, go for it. So Jesus goes to the Father in order to prepare a dwelling place for us. But the Spirit comes from the Father in order to make us a dwelling place for the Father and the Son. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make 
our home, or rather we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus goes to the Father to make a dwelling place for us. The Spirit comes to us, sent by the Father and the Son, to make us a dwelling place for God. Again, this connection, the first helper, second helper, Christ, and another helper, the paraclete, continuing the ministry of Christ. There was a, a popular show, maybe it's still on, Fixer Upper. I don't know if that's still on or not, but good old Chip and Joanna Gaines. But we used to watch uh, Fixer Upper along with this other show called Tiny Home Nation. Um, and it inspired us. I, I got one <laughs> to testify. <laughs> but um, in, in Fixer Upper, I think one of the things that I really appreciated about it, and I think maybe others do as well, is that you see this structure, this home that's just beaten down, broken down, rusted, rotted, go from something that looks just so terrible to what they do with it. It ends up being this amazing house and all the intricacies and the details that they put into it. And it's just this whole show is built around renovation. And I thought about that because the the scriptures actually use this type of language when talking about what the spirit does in the life and heart of the Christian. It uses language of renovation, um, changing, going from one thing to another. Now, if you know yourself, like I know myself, I am the, the pre-Chip and Joanna Gaines house, right? My insides, at times you see uh, rust, you see corrosion, you see mildew, you see broken down rooms and doors. Um, but one of the promises of the Holy Spirit and this guarantee is that he's actually changing, he's renovating your affections. So once what you once loved, which was dark and ugly and sinful, he's renovating to love things that are good and righteous and holy. And that's a promise. It's not, he's, he doesn't hold that out and say, well, it'll be up to you whether this happens. He says, no, I'm actually doing this by the spirit, which is why we can have sanctification unto glorification when it's actually done. And we are these new, new creatures fully realized in Christ, right? So there's, a, there's a, this sort of um, cyclical work happening as the spirit is renovating different aspects of our affections and our lives and the things that we love. Uh, by the spirit who is unknown and recognized in the world, um, we are given new life, we're given growth, we're given nourishment. Um, he's changing us and he's doing this within the family unit. He's doing this with believers as a family of Christ. And this is why we can't think of our sanctification as individualistic. As Corinne said earlier, it's something that we all participate in together. So we are a body of Christ. The Bible uses that language, singular body of Christ, Christ as the head. Christ doesn't have multiple heads. He's head of the body, his own body, the scriptures call it. So having this idea that we're sort of separated or off to the side or sort of doing our own thing is actually uh, the opposite of what scripture says we are and says we ought to, to do and how we ought to view that. So keep, keep that in mind as you think about sanctification. Um, care about your own sanctification, but also care about your brother and sister's sanctification. How can you come alongside them practically, right? So uh, praying 
for them, even there on the spot. Hey, this week I'm struggling with this. This week something's coming up. Let me just go to the side. Let's just pray for a couple seconds. Um, texting each other, uh, scripture, calling each other, reaching out to each other. Uh, yes, it inconveniences you. <laughs> the Christian life is inconveniencing sometimes. Is that a word, inconveniencing? It, it inconveniences you. <laughs> but this is the Christian life together. This is body life. We give ourselves to one another. As Paul said, I gave you not just teaching, but I gave you myself to the church. If he does it, we ought to do the same. Right? So practical sanctification as, as a body. Um, any thoughts there before I jump down to the next section on teacher? Anything come to mind? Norm? Right. is again encouraging because it reminds us that he doesn't leave us to ourselves um, we have the holy spirit the guarantee the promise of that this will be brought to a good end in our sanctification and glorification any other thoughts we go to the next section all right the teacher the next section in your handout there the teacher as the paraclete, who is like Christ, the spirit is our teacher as well. You can refer back to your chart to see some verses that bring that out. But here are a couple. Um, someone go to John 14, 26. Who wants John 14, 26? Green, and then Rich, can you take John 16, 13? Thank you. So again, this language of, of teacher, he will teach you all things. And one of the ways he did this in the disciples is by giving them um, a unique recollection of Christ's words and ministry. And then John 16, 13, Rich. Thank you. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you. <clears throat> Another uh, other language is teach you, uh, inform you, instruct you into all the truth. Right? So uh, the paraclete is our teacher, just as Christ was the teacher of his disciples. The Spirit teaches us inwardly, but he also illuminates to us the word of God, which is how that inward teaching happens. The Spirit works quietly glorifying Christ and deepening our understanding of the Father's relationship to the Son and the glory of the Trinity. Now, in, in our liturgy, in our order of service for the morning service, <clears throat> we have a prayer right before the sermon. There's a scripture reading and then a prayer. That's been referred to as the prayer of illumination. 
Now, historically, the church has recognized the importance of asking the spirit to come and bless the word of God that we see and hear the glory of Christ. We're asking the spirit to illuminate the scriptures to us, to our spiritual understanding. It's a prayer of illumination. So that that prayer right before the sermon, right before the word is preached, that's why it's there. We're asking um, the spirit to to come help um, illuminate, enlighten, give us a deeper sense of your goodness and kindness and truth. The spirit does that in the heart of of the believer. That's something that we should give thought to is we understand the scriptures by the Holy the, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the truth of Christ's words and the effects of his ministry on the human soul is by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just reading and getting intellectual knowledge. We ought to read the scriptures. But even when you read the scriptures privately, pray, Lord, help me to understand your word. Help me to understand what you've written. Um, When we read the scriptures to our children, Lord, open up their eyes to see and behold your glory in the face of Christ. Um, During the service, when the scriptures read and the word is preached, be praying that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the word to the hearers, that unbelievers would see and believe, that believers would be strengthened and grow. Right. So again, talking about this body life, right? The Lord's Day, the service on the Lord's Day, Sunday, yes, someone's up there preaching today, our brother Andrew, looking forward to the message. He'll be up there preaching. Someone may be reading the scripture. There's, there's, there's music, there's um, singing, but pray during the service. Pray for your own heart to not be distracted, to, um, to be able to focus. Pray for the church as a whole. Pray for the ministry of the word. Um, the, the reading of the word, the Lord's Supper, all of these things. Lord, work through your means of grace. Illuminate your word. Cause us to see and grow and love what we see and behold your glory. Right? That, that should be happening even from the pew, quietly praying. <clears throat> That's an aside, but I wanted to say it, so you heard it. Um, the disciples had the very presence of the incarnate Christ with them. Let me go back. I think I skipped a part. Oh, John 14, 20. Jesus said, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Ferguson explains that this verse is speaking about two realities that will follow Christ's ascension. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He says, one of those realities is the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost, which we've talked about. The other is at Christ's resurrection. The disciples had the very presence of the incarnate word, Christ, with them. They walked with him for three years, learned from him, watching his life and his ministry. They had left everything to follow him. Even Peter confesses, where else can we go? You have the words of life. Now you can imagine their own pain and anxiety after losing the Lord in the flesh as he ascended to heaven. Will 
will feel some sort of pain and anxiety when the Pendletons leave. <laughs> we, 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 we can sense that a bit, but you can imagine their sense of pain and anxiety. Now, do you ever think, like, I wish I had Christ right here with me like they did. If, if I just had him right beside me, everything would be better. That would be just the, the best thing for me. Does that ever come to mind for you? Yeah? Me too. Ferguson makes this observation. He says, the disciples feared that they would not, that, that they would know less of Christ and that their wanted intimacy would come to an end when he departed from them. Jesus taught them that they would in fact know him better and understand more about him. Through the Holy Spirit, they would have a better understanding of their relationship to him. This is how Jesus teaches on the depth of our communion with Christ. He says, you'll understand it more when the Spirit comes. So we're actually at a place in redemptive history where we have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, he tells them, uh, knowing that they will mourn, he says, don't, don't mourn. I am sending the paraclete, the helper, and he will teach you and even uh, deepen your understanding of your relationship to, to God. So when we say, man, I wish Christ was right beside me, we ought to say, wow, we have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit in us to attest to that reality. So if you say, man, if he was here, I would do exactly what he said. I'd be obedient to the T. <laughs> you got the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And so God, he's given us all that we, all that we need really for life and godliness. That doesn't mean we walk perfectly, but it does mean he has equipped us with what we need to walk obediently. And so we can, by the Spirit, do that. Jesus teaches us that the spirit of adoption will teach us his words and teach us about the depth of our relation to God our Father and our relation to Jesus Christ, who is not ashamed, again, to call us his brothers. And so we have all that we need uh, to live obedient lives in Christ. Any thoughts there before we go to the next section? The spirit of intercession. Yes, that's a great observation. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So just thinking back to that, Moses is uh, leading the people, he's prophesying, and uh, he appoints uh, 70 men, I think it was 70, maybe more, to help lead the people and facilitate. Um, and he gives this sort of a prophecy, which becomes uh, in later on in scripture, realized ultimately at Pentecost, but building on that 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 theme so great connection just seeing that old testament new testament yeah any other thoughts anything else come to mind any other scriptures all right spirit of intercession so we'll close um with this section and then just give a few minutes for thoughts, questions, some interaction a little bit, okay? <clears throat> Spirit of intercession. 
What comes to your mind first when you think about intercession? Priest. <laughs> what praise? Priest. Priest. Okay. Intercessory prayer. Okay. What else? Okay, yep, mediation. What else? What comes to your mind when you think about the spirit of intercession? I'll tell you what comes to my mind. It's not the right thing. (laughs) But uh, it's uh, churches that I grew up in where uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, disorder, speaking in tongues and um, calling the spirit and locking the spirit in the church hall so he couldn't leave. And that when I think about spirit of intercession, I think just because that language was used so much um, in a repetitious form, that's what still comes to mind for me. I have to sort of cleanse my mind. But what about you? Ron, what do you say? (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) A quick note about the spirit as the spirit of intercession. I want us to read this together. Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18. Someone mind reading that for us? Ephesians 6, 18. Crystal? Praying all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Okay. So there's a, a lot in that verse. But I want you to, to notice. Well, notice the communal concern there with prayer and explains praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication going on behalf of of others uh, asking requesting to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints so there's an active aspect here keeping alert there's perseverance which you know is by the spirit And there's supplication being made for all the saints. Again, not just ourselves and our family or even just our church, but for all the saints. But notice, praying at all times in the spirit. So before I move forward with that, um, what does it mean, do you think, to pray in the spirit? Nice. Very good. Yeah. What else? Yeah, I just think of, like you said, praying scripture, praying what you know is in accordance with scripture. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Praying the will of God, praying what's in accordance with scripture. Even if it's not, um, most of us don't pray scripture line by line, although we should, (laughs) and we can, and I think actually commanded to in some places, but... Um, most of the time we're, we're, we're paraphrasing what scripture says. We're, we're taking the sense of scripture, the direction of scripture, the aim of a text, 
and we're praying it for each other, right? Which there's a connection there with having our minds saturated with scripture so that when we are praying for one another, even um, spontaneously, scripture's coming out, um, or at least the, the sense of what scripture's communicating and what God intends for his people is coming out as, as we pray, when we have our minds saturated with scripture. But yes, praying in the spirit is praying the will of God in accordance with the word of God. <clears throat> Ferguson uh, provides this uh, helpful and simple definition. He says, praying in the spirit is prayer which conforms to the will and purpose of the spirit. This is what Tertullian and Calvin following him called legitimate prayer committing oneself to holding on to the promises of God, which I think Anthony mentioned earlier, holding on to the promises of God until they take effect. Until they take effect. I was just going to say, that's so different than what I used to think praying in spirit is, which was just scary hmm. and yeah. vulnerability. Hmm. Really disconnected from the Word of God. Yeah. And I wouldn't think it'd be great to pray like, right? But it's <laughs> Yeah. 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 There's a big emphasis on um, like spontaneity and sincerity and being vulnerable and and crying out. And exactly, those aren't bad things, except when they're detached and disconnected from Scripture, right? Uh, We know that we just read in Romans by the Spirit we cry out, "Abba, Father." There ought to be a sincerity and a vulnerability before God who knows us inside and out. We are exposed before him as naked spiritually. He, he knows us. And so that, that ought to be there. We ought to have a sense of that, but it must be connected to the word of God. And that's actually what sanctifies the Christian, right? Having the word in our minds, praying the word for one another, and that practice of that is actually sanctifying and conforming our minds and wills and affections to Christ. So God even uses that, uses prayer in the life of the Christian to help him or her um, in their own walk. So something to remember as I close this section out before we uh, open it up here. Prayer expresses the absolute dependence of the Christian upon God for everything. So there, there aren't categories of our lives where we should feel like, well, I got that thing. I struggle with that area, but this area, I got it locked down. I'm good here. Uh, we do want to see growth and we do want to see sanctification. But uh, prayer is recognizing our full dependence on God for everything from our daily bread to those things that come up in our lives that are unexpected and that we weren't prepared for. We need grace and help and wisdom and discernment, all of these things for every area of life. Remember that that uh, that phrase um, Ferguson uses, that the daddy help me, the the helpless um, prayer of the saint who goes to God, who is willing, wanting, desirous to to help, to give aid by the spirit. And so in everything, small things, big things, we ought to be going to God in prayer. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about that concerning um, the Spirit's uh, intercession and Christ's intercession. But um, I want to stop there and just open it up for any other thoughts or questions or verses that come to mind.
Anthony? Uh, yeah, Romans 8, 26 to 27. Uh, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes <clears throat> for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> in, in, in his book, um, he talks about this, those groanings, or in one of his teachings I heard on his book, he talks about those groanings being, even at times, just the deep sigh of, of the Christian, of the child of God who doesn't know what to ask for at times. And there's just a sigh, there, there's a groaning. Um, and even that, the Spirit rightly interprets um, and gives aid and grace and, and help. So just, yeah, thank you for reading that. It's really helpful. What else? Anything else come to mind? Any other verses or comments, questions? Mm. Children, yeah. Good gifts. How much more? How much yeah. More yeah. Better. Yeah, that's good. Yep. You who are being evil know how to give good gifts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. That's good. Crystal, add your hand up. Um, just back to your point when you were saying how we get to live with the scriptures and with the spirit. That was super convicting for me because you know how, how much of a blessing it is to be able to be a believer on this side of the cross to have you know, the full gospel, have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. Um, but I don't believe that I had that. And so when you said, is it, would it be easier for Christ with me? I was like, yeah, I think that sometimes it's like, no, like I have such a gift yeah. in the scriptures, in the Holy Spirit to be thankful for that in all times. So. Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, if that were better or best that Christ remained with every Christian throughout this age, and that's what would have happened. But he did what was perfectly good um, in sending the third person of the Trinity. Yeah, so, but that's a great point because I, I think the same thing too sometimes. And I have to be re reminded again open up the scriptures um, and that the truth that the Spirit is, is with us and in us. Yep. Rich? When you ask the question of, you know, what, what are some things that can strengthen our awareness of personship? Yep. <laughs> um, sometimes even just reflecting on how the Lord has changed us yeah. reminds us of yeah. that. Yeah, that's good. The gospel reminds us of that because we're sharing our testimony with others. That's good, I yeah. I think about my family, my, my dad being in the Philippines and all my siblings being there. Like, they could easily ask for help from him or communion with him. And I feel like kind of lost in that intimacy hmm. sometimes. But then I think about all the characteristics of my dad that just come to me right now. <laughs> I am. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Rich was saying, looking back and seeing what the Spirit has done, how how you have changed just over the course of your own Christian life, is another reminder and encouragement. And as you share your your testimony, like you said, that it reminds you of what the Lord has done. Because at times you can get discouraged and feel like, man, am I growing at all? I just feel like I'm moving just at like molasses at this slow pace. 
And when you think about it again and you walk back through these different things, it comes back to your mind like, man, I have grown. And usually others outside of you, outside of you are able to see that growth um, much more readily and it's more apparent to them than it is to you, but it's there and it's real. Yeah, that's good. All right, any other thoughts before we close? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that you would use your word to inform um, our affections, align our affections to your holy will. We thank you for the promise that the spirit is working these things uh, as the guarantee of those things to come until we take full possession of it. Um, Although in this life we do groan in this body of sin and we hurt and there's pain and there's trouble, there's also joy and growth and happiness and a relationship with our God who uh, gives good gifts and who sanctifies us and promises to bring us to that that good end in yourself. So Lord, we, we give you thanks for these things. Bless us. Now, even as we go into the corporate worship room to give thanks and praise and honor, and may you sanctify our minds, uh, renew us by your word, Lord, uh, conform us more to the image of your son, transform our affections, and uh, may you be pleased to glorify yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, as we worship together on the Lord's Day um, as a body of Christ, um, the worship on earth here joined with the worship of the saints and angelic beings in the heavens and the universal church lord may you be pleased this morning uh, in pulpits uh, across the world to bless your preached word and give your saints a deep fellowship together locally um, as we even in that realize our fellowship with the saints universally Um, may you be pleased to do these things for the sake of your own name and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, you are dismissed.